Hello and welcome to Reactive's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evie Chiori and this week we are focusing on the possible poll exit and the tension between the EU and the Polish government over the EU treaties that were considered unconstitutional. What will be the next day for Poland and the EU relations? We are also talking about the resignation of Austria's Chancellor Sebastian Kurz, the reasons behind it and the political instability in the country. Finally, we are talking about the historic international tax regime where 136 countries decided to follow the same policy when it comes to the digital age and the corporate tax evasion. A lot has been happening this week when it comes to EU politics and one of the most important news is the potential poll exit and a potential instability on the country's economy but also on the EU's politics. To find out more what is happening in Poland these days, I am joined by Piotr Kaczynski from Euroactive Poland. Piotr, last time you were on the podcast, you mentioned that the relations between Poland and the EU were tense. Now, a couple of weeks later, we are discussing about a possible poll exit. What happened in the spam of these uh, couple of weeks? The Polish Constitutional Tribunal had a verdict that the European treaties are not compatible with the Polish constitution. Uh, so this is why we have a problem, because if the, if the European treaties are not legally with the, with the Polish constitution, then there's a problem and we need to see what's going to happen now. Mm-hmm. So we are talking about a clash of the legislations from both sides, right? But why are we talking about Poland uh, potentially leaving the EU? Because uh, back in uh, 2005, one year after Poland entered the EU, together with nine other countries, and in 2005, the Polish Constitutional Tribunal uh, gave basically interpretation that if there's a problem, there are three options. One, um, change the treaties. Second, change the constitution. Or third, leave the EU. And right now, if, uh, if we have a problem like this, this is what we can do. We have three options. And who is in favor of the poll exit and what would uh, a scenario like this one uh, mean for Poland? Very few people are in favor of it uh, in the country. So the people, uh, Polish people, are not, uh, they, they don't want poll exit. The last poll said that 90% of, uh, of polls they don't want poll exit but um but we have constitutional tribunal which said that the european treaties are in violation of polish constitution because of the values of eu that's another thing the values of the eu are not compatible with the polish constitution according to this constitutional tribunal so maybe it is basically that the polish constitutional tribunal wants poll exit And is the poll exit an attempt from the Polish government to show its teeth to the EU? It's effectively playing with fire uh, because you can be arguing different ways. But if you are entering here into, into the zone of, uh, of powers of the European Union and limits of the powers of the European Union, commissioners are also calling it that, that it's a grave uh, crisis. 
uh, legal crisis in the in the heart of the EU because it 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 is about the limits of uh, of country sovereignty and uh, how much they can do and what the court can do the court of justice in in Luxembourg, but then there are some some scholars legal scholars who call it the biggest constitutional uh, crisis in the history of European integration. So this is where this Polish Constitutional Tribunal, knowingly or unknowingly, is about to try to dismantle the 70 years of the EU legal system as as it has been developing. And this is something that a great majority uh, of uh, scholars, of of EU institutions um, and EU member states will simply not allow. Uh, to happen. And what are the reactions from the other side, uh, from the EU side on this? This is a very grave situation and this very grave situation concerns not only Poland, but it concerns the EU itself. This may create an opportunity effectively because it can create an opportunity to deepen the integration, to answer some of the unanswered questions from uh, from before that when they are asked so so bluntly into your face about primacy of law uh, about about the relationship between the Euro- the European treaties and the national constitutional systems so those questions create a certain opportunity but we live in times of permanent crises and nobody is there who probably is going to risk to open the treaties uh, today um, in a way Paradoxically, this is the real conversation about the future of Europe, uh, not the conference on the future of Europe, which has been running in the background. And there will be a ruling on the uh, on the mechanism that links the uh, finances, EU uh, money uh, spending with uh, with the rule of law observance. Um, and uh, and this is something that we see also the Dutch Prime Minister being very critical. Uh, he is about to state that uh, all the recovery funds for Poland should be withheld. I assume that means instability when it comes to the economy and uh, politics too, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, my, my kind of darkest prediction is that uh, Poland may be stripped of a big majority of the funds uh, that uh, that it has been allocated with from not only recovery funds but also the regular budget um and uh, Poland may move very quickly into the territory of a netto payer not because of its uh, wealth but because of its uh, peculiar situation And speaking of political instability, let's move to Austria, where Chancellor Sebastian Kurz decided to resign over corruption allegations. To hear more on this story, I spoke with your actives, Oliver Noyan. So, Oliver, the news is that Chancellor Sebastian Kurz announced his resignation over corruption allegations and government crisis. What is the story behind it and what are the allegations of corruption and how is he involved? The Prosecutioner's Office of Economic Affairs and Corruption started raids in the, in the headquarters of the Conservative Party, the UVP, um, in the Chancellery, as well as in the Finance Ministry. To, um, because they, they found new evidence for alleged corruption. So what are the allegations? So there are a few of them, but most importantly, and that's, this is what made um, be the biggest rounds in, in, in the media, is that the inner circle of courts tried in 2016, actually what before Kurz became an even lead candidate of the Conservatives, but was still a foreign minister. So his inner circle 
they made like a, um, a deal with, with one of the biggest tabloid media outlets that they, they would give courts favorable coverage in return for a million of advertisement money. Yeah, so courts himself wasn't directly involved in that. He's not actually investigated over corruption, but over um, breach of trust and complicity in bribery. Mm-hmm. And how is this affecting the political stability in Austria? And uh, what were the reactions? Of course, the Greens, who um, are like the party of clean politics and are really about transparency, they weren't happy at all. Um, a few days after the raids, the Green Party said that they won't continue any coalition um, with the ÖVP involved, with the Conservative Party involved, as long as, as Kurz stays Chancellor. Um, at the time, Kurz still said that they, um, he won't step down no matter what. Um, but then the Greens even started like um, to have talks with the opposition parties. There were there were um, talks around about a new government forming without the Conservatives, but involving even the Populist Party. So this already put considerable pressure on courts. And the second thing is that it was also like trouble brewing within his own party, because the UVP has like so to speak two party bases. So what courts did when he entered office, he rebranded the the, the Conservatives as the new People's Party and the, the high-ranking party members of the old People's Party, so to speak, they re-urged him to, to step back, especially the governors on the, on the regional level who um, um, stopped to back courts and, and told him to step down. And what's the next day regarding his political career, but also the government in Austria? There are rumors around that theories that he will act as a shadow chancellor because he, he still is the faction leader of the Conservatives um, in the parliament, and he's, and he's also the party leader in general. So this gives him a really strong position. And for that, like many people assume that he might be um, the shadow chancellor who will pull the strings behind the scenery, especially because like the, the chancellor that, that, that was inaugurated on Monday has a really weak um, um, power base within the party. This chancellor, Alexander Schallenberg, was actually part of the expert government that um, was inaugurated in the aftermath of the Ibiza Ibiza scandal, the biggest corruption scandal Austria has seen. You can find Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast in our podcast newsletter. Subscribe to it on euractiv.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. And now moving on a completely different topic, 136 countries agreed on an international tax regime, a regime that fits the digital age and takes into consideration the concerns about corporate tax evasion. To shed some light on the new regime, I am joined by Euractiv's economy and jobs reporter, Janos Aman. Janos, how was this deal agreed on? Uh, how did all the countries come together? And is this the first time that we have a deal like this? It has been for a long time in, in discussions uh, and also political fights about profit shifting um, of uh, large companies uh, and, and tax oases that allowed this to happen. 
Um, in the OECD, there was this program, the Base Erosion and Profit Shifting Program, where countries were talking to each other about this problem, trying to solve it. But there was not enough political will behind it. Most European countries uh, had an issue with large digital companies that made a lot of their profits in uh, Europe, but did not pay any taxes on this um, because they, they were taxed in either a tax haven or in their headquartered country, which is the US. And and they began to, to make their own digital taxes, uh, but this was uh, done on a national level. Uh, so, so in summer, Europeans uh, came together with the US and uh, they agreed on, on more or less a 15%. But it, it has to be said, it was it was mainly between the US and the EU that this has been uh, done, and other countries attached themselves to it. It's it, it is claimed as a global thing, but a lot of uh, developing countries are not really happy about uh, about this uh, this deal. But in the end, uh, now in in October, they finalized the deal in in the G20 and OECD context. And what are the most important points when it comes to the international tax regime? There are two pillars in, in this agreement. Uh, the first pillar is what, what we used to say, used to call a, a digital tax, but it does not only apply to digital companies. So this agreement is aims at taxing a part of the, the profits there where the profits are made and not there where the headquarter uh, is, is based. So what, what they decided on is that Really big companies, uh, starting from a turnover of $20 billion, will be now be 25% of their profits above a threshold of 10% of revenues will be allocated to market jurisdictions. Now, a part of, of the profits that Apple makes in, uh, in France, for example, will now be uh, allocated to France. Um, but if, if you make a profit of below 10% of revenue, and this is quite a high bar to pass, then you will not be affected by this. So if, for example, Amazon that has rather low margins or not margins, but, but in the end profits will probably not be affected by this, by this pillar. And the second pillar is a minimum corporate tax. This aims at taxing more of the, the taxes, uh, more of the profits in the actual headquarters of the uh, of the companies and not in the tax haven where they might shift their taxes towards. And there they agreed to a minimum corporate tax of 15%. And this works in a way that if, for example, uh, Apple uh, ta is taxed only, I don't know, 11% in, in Ireland, um, then uh, the US can additionally tax uh, on these profits, uh, can additionally tax 4%, um, so that in total there is a minimum taxation of 15%. And now on the other hand, what were the deal-breaker points of it that made some countries uh, to refrain from agreeing to it? Well, now all of the EU countries have, have accepted the deal. Uh, there was uh, resistance uh, originally from Ireland, uh, Estonia and Hungary. Um, Ireland is known for... Uh, being a haven for, for tax shifting, they have uh, achieved a, a slight um, change in formulation in, in the agreement. So now the corporate, uh, the minimum corporate tax is not at least 15% anymore, but 15%. So this is a slight uh, 
change of formulation and with this they could 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 live with and and are now on board and how was this new tax regime perceived from the commission and from the corporate's perspective the commission president uh, issued a statement calling it uh, calling the agreement a historic agreement um, of course uh, it, it is unprecedented um Commission President uh, Ms. von der Leyen, uh, I think she uses the word uh, historic quite often. And it has to be said that uh, it is not the revolution that some had had hoped for, because there is like the digital tax, for example, is really only applied apply to really big uh, corporates and only to corporates with a very high profit and to a small part of this very high profit. And the minimum corporate tax is lower than the initially proposed 21%. So 15% is quite low and it is lower than most of the developing countries' tax rates. So for them, this does not really make a difference. Our time is up for this week. I am Evi Kiori and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, subscribe to our podcast newsletter and visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening.